Hey everyone, I'm back. Hope everyone had a great evening. Yesterday I um, uploaded the latest episode of The Handmaid's Tale, so I hope you got it. And with that, I also um, had received a few messages in regards to the different um, people and who they are, um, who are the people of Gilead and how they're arranged. If, I do have a few people who have never, um, who's actually just starting to watch this season and they're asking a lot of questions. And I always say, make sure you go back to season one because it is a continuation story and you're seeing all the character development from the very beginning. Um, <clears throat> for example, June, her character at the very beginning, season one, is very different from the June that we're seeing today. She's obviously gone through a lot of trauma. And as a result of that, her mindset and the way she moves and the things that she's, um, how she's dealing with things, her strategy, um, her fight, you know, she, she's, she's gone through these, up, these hills and valleys, if you will. So she's definitely a different person than she was in season one. And I think we're looking at a time frame now, I'm just uh, estimating here based on a few different things I've heard throughout the seasons, we're probably looking at about five or six years she's been in Gilead. Uh, I think it's about five or six years. I don't think it's been 10 yet. So I'm, we're looking at about five or six years time span of, 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 of being in this place. Uh, looking at her daughter, who seems to be 11 or 12 years old, and it looked like her daughter was maybe six um, at the time they were captured in season one, and now her daughter's like a preteen. I'm giving it about five or six years, you know, that she's been in Gilead. It probably feels like 50 years to her. So with that being said, it is very important if you, you know, to not start here because you're not going to catch and understand where we are now. How do we get here? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Why are the characters acting in the manner they're acting in? You know, even with Janine. Now, I would say that her character, there's been slow development with her character. Her character has been very consistent from season one to season four in terms of um, mentality and where she is. She's kind of kept it very consistent. She and, and yes, she's been to the hills and valleys as well, but her mental state hasn't changed a lot. So the person who's changed a lot is the main character, and that would be the protagonist, and that is June. So this is why, again, look at it from season one to understand where we are today. It will give you a lot more context. So let's do a review of who these characters are. Um, Every person in Gilead has a title, a function. Even the babies have titles and functions. People are segregated by categories. Um, they can be easily recognized because every group has its own dress code that represents who the people are and their social function in the land. So you are easily identified by what you wear, okay? So let's start with all of the men. The men are the ruling class. All right, Gilead has a ruling class, of course. And they are the four main categories. Commanders of the faithful, the eyes, the angels, and the guardians of the faith. So who are the commanders of the faithful? They are the top men with an abundance of authority. They make up the ruling class. 
Those particular men are allowed to marry. They can have a household made up of a wife, a handmaid, and a female servant and guardians. Many of the men are uh, infertile, okay, um, because they were exposed to a biological chemical before Gilead was established, okay? And many of the wives are also infertile. Commanders can be, you can, you can tell who the commanders are because they wear um, they wear black to represent their 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 ranking, and if they're not wearing a jacket, you can usually see them with suspenders on. Okay, so you got Commander Waterford, you got Commander Lawrence. You know they are the highest ranking rulers. They make all the decisions. Then you have what's called the eyes. We don't hear this reference much in this season. In fact, we really haven't heard it a lot since season one. And they're called, uh, they're called the eyes. They're like the secret police. Their job is to catch those who violate any of the rules of Gilead. So it doesn't even matter how small the act might be. Because they work undercover, no one knows who they are. Um, however, they're all around Gilead. Um, this is this what makes Gilead such a hyper, another reason, not just the reason, but another reason why there's so much hypersensitivity in Gilead is because you have people watching that you don't even know who these people are. And it was referenced in season one. Nick was considered to be an eye by many of the handmaids. They thought that Nick was one of the eyes. I think that Nick was um, one of the guardians of the faith as opposed to being the eyes. But, you know, we'll talk about him in a few minutes. There, then you have the angels. Um, they are the soldiers who fight to expand and protect Gilead. They may be permitted to marry if they wish to do so. And then you have guardians of the faith, and they are different from soldiers. They don't fight. Instead, they do routine policing and perform insignificant duties. They are considered unsuitable to do anything else. This group is made up of unintelligent men of all ages. Some are disabled. Young guardians may be promoted to angels when they are older, and they are easily recognized by their green uniform. So Nick's position, he was the right-hand man to command Waterford. And to me, he was more of in between like a guardian. He was like a mixture in my opinion because he didn't even wear a regular uniform. <clears throat> a guardian, angel, and I, to me. More so an angel because now he is not a commander, but he is in charge of the soldiers. So I would say he was on the soldier front. So I'm going to give him the title of angel. You know, he was a soldier. He was a driver for Commander Waterford. He uh, did any of the errands. You know, he was that guy. Now, those are the men. Those are their titles. And, you know, the men are in general have the most power. They are the ones in charge. Women are like, you know, subservient. Let's go through them. So you have categories of legitimate women and then you have the illegitimate women. <laughs> Let's go through who these women are that are considered legitimate. Wives, daughters, handmaids, aunts, Martha's, and econo wives. And again, we don't reference a lot of these anymore. We do talk about the wives because we have um, uh, Serena Waterford is a wife. Daughters, we have seen in a few seasons, I think season two, we saw a, a daughter who ended up becoming a wife. Uh, remember, um, Nick was married uh, to um, a young lady who was a teenager. She was a daughter and then she was trained to become a wife. 
ultimately her, well, if you've watched the series, you know her ultimate demise, what happened with her. Um, we know who aunt, we know, well, of course we know all the handmaids. Then we have the aunts and Aunt Lydia being the most famous of all the aunts, the Marthas. We've seen, um, what's her name? Uh, 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 what's her name? Aunt, um, oh, I forget her name. I think it was, was it Lacey or whatever? Anyway, the Marthas are like the cooks and all that and the O'Connell wives. We don't see O'Connell wives this season. We only saw and spoke of the O'Connell wives in great detail. I think it was season two. This is when June, you remember she, the her, her was it a, her first escape? Nick helped her, helped her escape, and she was pregnant at the time. Remember that? She was pregnant. She escaped, and she ended up going to this small town. And in that town, you had uh, econo wives in that town, okay? And they weren't on the level of wives, but like the regular wives of commanders, but they were married, and they had children, so... Then you got the illegitimate women, um, the unwomen, and the Jezebel. So let's go through. So the, the wives are married to the commanders. They're subservient to their husbands. They have little or no voice in their marriage. Um, the wife is supposedly infertile. Uh, many of them are. Uh, a handmaid is assigned to have a baby for her and the commander. Commander wives always wear the teal dresses with the matching cloaks to indicate who they are. If a commander dies, his wife becomes a widow and must dress in a deep purple that looks like it's black. The daughters, um, those are the female children of the commander of his wife. The girl must be a biological or adopted child of the ruling class. Daughters must dress in white. We don't see them a lot, okay? That's something that you don't see quite a bit of. The handmaids, which is, this is, you know, this is who they are. This is who the, the, the series is based on, are fertile women whose main function is to bear children for the commanders and their infertile wives. Handmaids appear to be the largest group in Gilead. Those women have broken the law, which includes lesbianism and adultery. So when you look at the playback of who June is and who Mara is and uh, uh, um, some of these women, um, there's another lady who was the, the who is the scientist. These women fall in the category of either they were lesbians, which was against the law, or they've committed adultery. And June was in a adulterous relationship. Okay, when she got she when she got with her now husband, technically, if you will, um, he was still married. So she committed adultery. All right, handmaids live in the commander's house along with the wife. And those who are not assigned to a commander live in the training centers. And at the training centers, this is where the aunts are in charge of the training centers. After a handmaid produces a child for a commander, she stays there until the child is weaned. Okay. So she does all the breastfeeding and she takes care of the baby until that breastfeeding time period is over. Then she gets a new assignment. And those who fail to give birth after three assignments are sent to work in the colonies. And that's really where you work to die. You are in these toxic wastelands and... There you have it. Handmaids are required to wear long, deep red dresses, white caps, and heavy boots. When they go out in public, they must wear a red cloak to match the dress, the red gloves, and heavy white bonnets, which are also called wings, because um, you know they they they're kind of flap around to their peripherals, and it's to, it's to keep from seeing around them and to keep people from seeing their face. All right, so you know. 
you, 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 in this last episode, June, you, you saw her symbolically give away her red cloak and red stands out and red is used. Obviously it's um like the Scarlet A it's used to, it's to showcase the, the person in a bad manner to put them on display. Uh, uh, um, they stand out in the crowd, but for the wrong reasons. Okay. Now we got the aunts. All right. Let's talk about the aunts. They are the trainers of the handmaids. They police the handmaids to make sure they stay in line. If they get out of line, they're beaten, burned, maimed, or punished in whatever way they feel they want to. The aunts have more authority than other women in Gilead, even more of uh, some of the wives. Aunt Lydia is the most prominent aunt, and she and the other aunts dress in brown to distinguish them from other women. Now, from what I gather, aunts, I don't know if they've ever had children. But they are probably of the age where they can no longer have children. I get the impression that they never had children. I get the impression that they were single. And I don't know uh, their sexuality situation. I guess they have lived their lives as just regular single women. We did get a backstory on Aunt Lydia, who she was dating. Um she fell for a guy and the guy wasn't really into her. He didn't want to be with her. He wasn't attracted to her. And it kind of got, it got her in this very jaded space. And this is how she became an aunt. Um, Martha's are older infertile women who have domestic skills. They take care of those while wearing green smocks and aprons. Now, Martha's tend to have children. Okay, already. And most of the children, either they've died or they, you know, I don't know what happened to them. Because the Waterford's Martha, I forget the main one that's in Canada now, um, she had a son. Now, I don't know if the son died in the, yeah, her son died. Her, her son died in the war. So I guess they've come to a point in their life where they've had children and then they've become infertile you know, whatever, but they're like the domesticated individuals in the household. They don't have sex, but they do do all the household duties. Econo wives, again, like I mentioned, Econo wives was only brought about in season two. Um, they are married to men of a lower rank. They perform all the female duties at the house. Their dress is multicolored, red, blue, and green, and is to represent their multiple roles. Um, you have illegitimate women of Gilead, and those are the unwomen and the Jezebels. Unwomen are sterile women, unmarried women, widows, feminists, lesbians, nuns, and those who don't fit into any of the other groups that I mentioned before. Those women are banished to the colonies to work in deadly pollution. And we saw some of the handmaids banished there at some point in time due to some bad behavior. And again, you're, you're sent there to die. Jezebels are women who are forced to become prostitutes and entertainers. They are, on, they are available only to the commanders and their guests. Jezebels can never be handmaids because they have been sterilized. They are controlled by the aunts, but with more freedom than the handmaids. When Jezebels grow old and their looks fade, they might be killed or sent to work in the colony. So this world is cruel. This, this, this dystopian society is absolutely Rule. Do you hear me? Um, Jezebel's was where Mara used to work. Okay. In season one, Mara used to work at Jezebel's. Okay. Mara, I guess, uh, because she uh, was, uh, is a lesbian, 
She was trained as a handmaid. I don't know what happened. She, I don't know what, the, but anyway, they end up sending her to Jezebel's. And she goes to Jezebel's and you get drugs, you drink, um, and you have to lay up with the commanders and their guests. And it was due to June, you know, encouraging her to get out and leave that she was able to finally get the strength to leave Gilead and go up to Canada. But Mara's position was definitely at Jezebel's. Interesting, you know, they're so hypocritical in this society. So now let me get to the babies, okay? Um, this is something that you don't hear. Um, it, it, it's, in, it's very, very quick in some conversations, and it was done in, in episode, uh, uh, season one. Unbabies are also known as shredders, or infants born deformed, or those in, or those that have other kind of birth defects. Unbabies do not stay in Gilead. It is uncertain what happens to them. Um, this is all based on the book, so. We don't know. Um, it does, it's never really discussed in the book or even in the television series. Pregnant handmaids often fear they will give birth to an unbaby. You, you know, so I, I don't know. We haven't been confronted with that. Like I said, in little conversations, you do hear about unbabies, and and, and uh, you know, it's very, very, very brief. So if a child is born with an obvious birth defect, um, you know, it's considered to be an unbaby. If the child develops issues as it gets older, because they may not know it at the time of the birth and the baby grows up or gets older and you notice in some deficiencies in cognitive, um, cognitively they may not be as developed and all of that. So it, that would also be considered an unbaby. Um Babies who are born without a physical defect are considered to be the keepers, and they are required to be turned over to the commander's wife as soon as they are born. During the delivery process, the wife is taken care of in bed as if she is delivering the baby. And after all, she was with the handmaid when the child was conceived. So the thinking here is, and you see this a lot in episode, uh, season one as well as season two, where during childbirth, the wife is actually in a different room and she's acting as though she's in labor, just like the handmaid is. And she's pushing and it's like, it's, it's, it's to give the emulating given childbirth at the same time the handmaid is giving childbirth, is giving birth. Once the handmaid delivers the baby and they clean the baby up, the handmaid, the baby the handmaid doesn't even get a chance to even hold the baby. It is given immediately to the wife. The wife is in the bed as if she just gave birth. It's a weird, weird situation. Um, Janine did, you know, Janine had a baby in episode, in season one. She had a baby and honey, she was laying there practically bleeding to death. And they were like, you know, looking over at the wife. They didn't pay attention to her hardly. It's the strange world that they live in. So that's, you know, I got this list of, uh, of the different positions in Gilead. A lot of it, it this, this list actually comes from the book. This, the Handmaid's Tale uh, is a book. And these are the different people that they describe in the book. Like I said before, you we don't see all of these positions throughout the series. The focus is on the handmaids, the commanders, the mothers, the guardians. Those are the main focus. You know, everybody else... Um, isn't really uh, uh, focused on quite as much. So I hope that helps. But again, make sure you watch from the beginning and I'll talk to you guys later.